All right, I want you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. And I want to talk to you today about grace. Let me begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, through forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, I may read some more from Ephesians beginning in the second chapter, but let's just stop right there and let's just look at these 10 verses that I just read. And I want to look at them in light of God's grace. And I want, what I want to submit to you this morning is that God's grace is something that is much, much greater than any of us are able to comprehend. The only way we can comprehend it, the only way we can even begin to discern it is is by the Spirit. So we go back to 1 Corinthians and the, the, the truth that Paul wrote to the Corinthians when he says the carnal man cannot discern the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. So in, our, in other words, in our natural minds, in our, with our natural brains in our logical, natural processes, we really can't understand God's grace. We can understand kind of the the theme of it, or we can understand on a surface level, but we'll never truly understand the magnitude, the depth, the richness, how far-reaching His grace is. And so in a very feeble attempt this morning. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about God's grace. And, and I'm trusting that as we talk about God's grace from the scripture, that what I am unable to do in my feeble attempt to communicate this great truth, the Holy Spirit will illuminate His word, the truth of what grace is, He would illuminate that to you by His Spirit and make known to you, begin to give you a greater glimpse of the glory of God's grace. Father, I just pray that you would this morning do that. 
that, Lord, as we look into your scripture, as we look at God's grace, that you would, by your spirit, begin to open our spiritual eyes, our spiritual understanding, that you would give us spiritual discernment of this word, of this truth that is so great, that is so grand, that is so glorious beyond our ability to comprehend. God, begin to give us a glimpse of the glory of your grace. Let it bring hope to us. Let it bring courage, Lord, and joy in all of the things, peace, all of the things, God, that your grace is intended to accomplish in us. God, let it accomplish those things and let it accomplish those things for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. This word saints, it's an interesting word. It means devoted to the gods. So in the Greek language, this was the only word in the Greek language that, that existed that really communicated this. <clears throat> but in pagan Greece... Those devoted to the gods were, I assure you, not devoted to the God of the Bible. Uh, when we think of the word saint, it's, it's, it's the word uh, where we, we get our word holy, set apart. And so this isn't holiness. This Greek understanding wasn't holiness in the sense of biblical holiness because there was nothing holy happening in these pagan temples. But it's interesting. Paul uses this word and he says, to those devoted to God. Now, the understanding was, these were men and women that had been set apart. Their lives were devoted to God, just like an offering, just like the Jews would bring a lamb or a turtle dove or a, their grain or their oil and they would bring it to the temple and they would offer it on the altar to God. They would set that apart. They devoted that to God. In our modern culture, in some traditions, saints or sainthood is a title that's, that's uh, reserved for, for those who have achieved some measure of, you know, um, devotion through works and religious works. But the Bible does not use this word in that way. The Bible calls those who belong to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, all those who are His, His chosen ones, He calls them saints. Paul uses this word over and over in his letters in the New Testament. Those who are devoted to God. Now, devoted to God does not just speak of, and I think it speaks less of, your attitude toward God as much as it speaks of the reality of what you are to God. You're devoted to God not because you're a devoted person, because you've worked really hard to devote yourself. This is what Paul is teaching us. You are a devoted person because God has devoted you to himself. In other words, God took you and said, you are mine. 
I separate you and make you mine. So he says to the saints, to the devoted ones, to the devoted to God who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Where are we devoted to God? Where are we faithful? In Christ Jesus. Grace to you. Grace, this is a word, it's the Greek word charis. Grace in the Greek culture did not in any way, shape, or form carry the meaning of the word as we have come to know it and understand it in the New Testament. In other words, in the New Testament, the word grace, the word charis, takes on a whole new dynamic from from the way the Greeks understood it. Traditionally, this word meant to freely offer, um, like to do a good turn for a friend. But, but only for a friend. Uh, it was a word that spoke of beauty, the attribute of beauty. Something that brought joy to someone. That was aesthetically pleasing. It was beautiful. It was joyful. This is the context of the word grace. Grace and beauty are synonymous in many ways. But then we come later on and we see that this word grace spoke of a favor done for a friend. Something freely offered. And we see that context in the New Testament. But yet in the New Testament, when we talk about the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus didn't just offer something freely to his friends. Jesus offered something freely to those who were not his friends. And so grace now takes on this whole new Meaning and whole new dynamic. And Paul says grace to you in peace. Paul uses the term grace so many times in his letters. We read over it and it just kind of becomes a byword. And I want to really encourage you as you read the scripture to not let grace become a byword. It's not just a salutation. It's not just a greeting or the ending of a letter. When Paul, I believe when Paul writes Grace to you. When he writes the word grace, he writes it with all the fullness, with all the force that this word carries. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Peace, grace, and peace. Do you realize that God is not just saying, relax, don't be fearful, be at peace. When Paul writes grace and peace, He's saying, grace and peace. Peace meaning peace from God, our Father. In other words, God has every right to come to us, not with peace. He has every right to come to us as the captain of the host of an army at war and bring annihilation to us because we are his active and hostile enemies. Paul says grace and peace from God our Father. God doesn't come in hostility. God comes in peace. God says because of my son there has has come a cessation of all hostility between you and me. Not because we made peace with God but because God made peace with us. Not because we surrendered and said, okay, God, we give up. But because God did something in His grace that we could not do. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you glad that there is peace between God our Father? I mean, this is much more than I can lay my head down at night and sleep. I'm not worried and I'm not anxious. I need the peace of God. I'm telling you what, the peace that God brought is something much greater than that. We are no longer God's enemies in Jesus Christ. There is grace and peace now from God our Father. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now I don't. My, 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 my aim is to get to verse 4 here. I really want to talk to you in depth when we get to verse 4. But I don't want to just skip over verse 3. This sounds kind of. Uh, this can sound kind of. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It can sound kind of, you know, spiritual blessings. What are those? Well, they're spiritual. They're, they're not here. They're there in the heavenly realm somewhere. I guess we'll get to them one day, maybe when we get to heaven. I don't know. See, that's kind of the way we... He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We really have a hard time comprehending that. I mean, how do you comprehend being blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places as you sit on these foam cushions and chairs here in this real building that creaks with the wind? And I mean, how do you comprehend spiritual blessings in heavenly places? It's, it's kind of a... It's, it's kind of a hard thing. It's kind of like trying to nail jello to the wall, right? What is that? What are these spiritual blessings? And not just some, not just He's blessed us with spiritual blessings, but He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, which leaves nothing out. So whatever spiritual blessing there is, He has blessed us with it, where? In heavenly places in Christ. Does that mean that the benefit of those spiritual blessings will not be realized until we get into the heavenly places in Christ? Like one day in the sweet by and by? One day when we die and go to heaven? One day when we fly away? No, that's not what it means. Paul is writing this letter to this church that, that lived on the ground, on the earth, and the spiritual blessings they were blessed with in heavenly places in Christ were real. They, they were real to the Ephesians and they are real to us. Now, this is just my opinion. So you know what that's worth, right? In my opinion, the reason these are not real to us, the reason that this seems so out of the realm of understanding is because in some measure we really do not understand the depth of God's grace. We do not understand the depth and the reality of what God has given to us 
provided for us, made real for us right now in Christ Jesus. Now I want to assure you that Paul is writing about real things. Not just future things that they'll get one day, but real things that they have access to, benefit from right now. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Why is it spiritual blessings are, are, are more important than temporal blessings? Is there a difference between spiritual and temporal blessings? Yes, there is. Temporal blessings are what? Temporary. That's what the word temporal means. Spiritual blessings are not temporary. They are eternal Now here again, don't think of spiritual as being contrasted with physical. Jesus had a spiritual body after his resurrection, but it was very physical. He ate food. They were able to touch him. We think of spiritual contrasted with physical. Ghosts are spiritual. You can't touch them. They're vapor. No. you Don't contrast spiritual with physical. Contrast spiritual with temporal. Spiritual is eternal. It's not temporary. It's just as real as this aluminum podium right here. It's more real. This aluminum podium, we can reduce it to nothing through intense heat. That which is spiritual, that which is in and of Christ, can never be reduced, can never be altered, can never be diminished in any way, shape, or form. It's very important that what God has blessed us with is every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Some people would say, well, I'd rather have all the gold in California than the spiritual blessings because I could use the gold in California right now. Well, you go ahead and take the gold in California, but one day the gold in California is going to all burn up. But what we have in Christ Jesus will endure forever and ever and ever. And it's not something you will get one day. It's something you have right now in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Let's stop there. Just as He chose us. Where? In Him. He chose us in Him. When did He choose us in Him? Well, it tells us when. Before the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? You know what that word foundation means? It's a Greek word that means to throw down. So here's what here's here's the literal picture. He chose us in him before he threw down the foundations of the world, of the cosmos. That word world there is the word cosmos. Cosmos is a Greek word that speaks of a something that is harmonious and ordered. Contrast that with the word chaos. Our word chaos is the exact 
Greek word. If you read chaos in Greek, it would appear the same in Greek as it does in English. Before the foundation of the cosmos, not the chaos, but the cosmos. So when, when did God choose us in Him? Now, let's go with the Bible, okay? Let's go with what the Bible teaches us. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. When, when is that? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. The beginning of our Bible. The word Genesis means beginning. The book of beginnings. But the reality is, the Genesis account doesn't pick up, if we could say it like this at the beginning. It's kind of hard to say it like this. It's hard for us to understand this. Let me see if I can explain a little bit. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Or, using Paul's language from Ephesians, in the beginning, God threw down the foundations of the world. So when did God choose us in Him? According to Paul, God chose us in Him before in the beginning, when He created the heavens and the earth. So before... God threw down the foundations of the world. That means before there was earth, before there was sky, before there was water, before there were stars, moon, suns, planets, galaxies, before any of that existed, before there was a material universe, God chose us in Him before He threw down the foundation of the cosmos. You know how big the foundation of the cosmos is? It's, it's, it's beyond our human comprehension. We don't even have numbers big enough to number it. But yet, just indulge me just for a moment. It made me think of the, uh, as we were reading through the Psalms, that made me think of Psalm 147. Look at, look at Psalm 147. Let's just begin. Let's read the first four verses. First five verses. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and calls them all by name. Great is our Lord. And mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Do you know what infinite is? It's kind of hard to explain what infinite is. Do you know what God is called? He's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's called the great 
I am. He has neither beginning nor end. God has always been. Time as we know it began when? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And time as we know it began to be marked. When did God choose us in Him? He chose us in Him before time. That's what the Bible teaches us right here. He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, before He threw down the cosmos. Y'all didn't know God could throw down, did you? <laughs> verse, the rest of verse 4, that we should be, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. In love. Or you could just as easily read it. That we should be holy and without blame before him. I don't know how your Bible has it translated. In love can either go with before him in love. Or it can go in love having predestined us. The Greek doesn't have punctuation there. They're both true. He chose us in him. That we, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. This word before Him, it speaks of the way God looks at us. The way this describes is that God is looking down and He is seeing that which is before Him. It speaks of seeing that we should be holy and without blame, seen by Him. This is how God sees us. Now how are you going to become holy and without blame? How are you going to become that? Without blame means without blemish. Who's got some blemishes? If I was a lamb, if I was a lamb that was picked out for the slaughter, I would be disqualified right now. Because the other day when I was barbecuing, I was carrying wood and I pinched my finger. See that? It's not a mole. It's not a milk dud. See that black spot? I pinched my finger between two pieces of wood and got a blood blister. If I was a lamb being taken for sacrifice to God, this blood blister right here would disqualify me. It's considered a blemish. But yet the Bible said God chose us in Him before the foundations of the cosmos that we should be blame, holy and without blemish before Him. How are you, how am I going to become holy Without blemish before God. Who said it? Jesus Christ. That's right. 
You will never, in your own efforts, by your own will, by your own works, become holy and without blemish. You will only become that by God's grace in Jesus Christ. And I'll submit to you that you can't even understand that because I can't understand it. I don't think we can humanly understand this. But see, the point is, it's not whether we can humanly understand it. It's do we believe what the scripture teaches us? This is what Paul is saying to these believers in Ephesus who obviously were failed human beings who had sinful pasts and still had sinful tendencies, who lived in the imperfection of their cursed and sinful flesh. But yet Paul tells these believers that God in His grace has not only blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, He chose you before He threw down the foundations of this very cosmos that you might be holy and without blemish before Him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. In God's love, He chose us. In God's love, He calls us holy and blameless. In God's love, He foreordained. That's what that word predestined means. It's the same word that's translated foreordained in other parts of the Bible. Having foreordained us to adoption as sons. Now, when did this take place? Before time. I think sometimes, here's the way we think of, of salvation and redemption. We think of salvation and redemption in terms that God created the heavens and the earth, and he goes through the six days, because you know man was created on the sixth day. So God gets to the sixth day, and he creates man. He says, oh, it's good. Not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve, puts man in the garden. Man falls. Man's cast out of the garden. Man goes out. He populates the earth. I think sometimes we think that God, while this whole process is taking place, God's looking over humanity going, hmm, well, now that's a good one, and hmm, well, that's a pretty good one, and well, I think that one will work out pretty good, and God's... There, that is not communicated in any way, shape, or form anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere is that communicated to us. That is wholly man's imagination. That is really the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in, in its full impact in the hearts and minds of men. Before time began, God chose you, the Bible says. And He's called you holy and without blemish. Before Him, in love, having foreordained or predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. What this literally says is God has placed us as sons in Himself. Look at this, church. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. How did we become sons? We became sons by Jesus Christ. Who are we co-heirs with? We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are placed by Jesus Christ in God as mature 
sons. You didn't place yourself there. God, before time began, chose you to be his son. Chose you to be his child. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will. Because it was his good pleasure. Because he found goodness. Not because it was a good act, so I must do this. Because of his good pleasure. Because God found joy in himself in placing you as sons by Jesus Christ in him. Because it brought God joy. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. How did we become chosen before time began? How did we become chosen before the foundations of the world were laid down? How did we become holy and without blemish before Him in love? Having been predestined to become sons by Jesus Christ in Himself. How in the world did that happen? Paul tells us right here how it happened. It happened because of the glory of His grace. God did all of this to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. How did we become accepted in the Beloved? And when did we become accepted? This is real important to understand. When did you become accepted in the Beloved? When you got your act together and your life, finally you got it together and proved to God that you really were a man and a woman of faith. And then God says, well, you've kind of proven yourself, so we'll see, we'll, we'll just see. No. When did you become accepted in the beloved? Paul teaches us that you became accepted in the beloved before God laid down the foundation of the cosmos. Before time began, you became accepted in the beloved. And how did you become accepted in the beloved? By grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Grace made you accepted in the Beloved. What did you do? Let me read the scripture to you. Psalm 139. Let's begin in verse 13, Psalm 139, 13. For you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that for my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance yet being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. 
the thoughts God has for us, the psalmist says, are more than the number of the sand. Before we were formed in our mother's womb, he knew us. The days of our lives before there was yet one of them were written in his book. Tell me, Christian, what did you do to become chosen by God? What did you do to become accepted in the beloved? Because when God chose you, when God accepted you, when God called you holy and blameless, time had not even started ticking yet. The foundation of the cosmos had not even been laid yet. You had not done one good or evil work yet. Yet, in spite of that, God, in His grace, made you accepted in the beloved. And why did God do that? He did it for the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. How do we have redemption? How did God go to the slave market of sin and buy us? Buy us for Himself and buy us for all eternity. How did God redeem us? He did it by His grace. And only by His grace. Because we were not in the slave market of sin deserving redemption. We weren't one out of a million that looked like we needed to be redeemed. We were like everyone else in the slave market of sin. We were hopelessly slaves to sin and death. Yet Christ comes to His chosen is chosen before time, before the foundations of the world were laid down. And by the blood of His own Son, He redeemed us from the slave market of sin. He redeemed us to Himself. He redeemed us forever. You will never be lost. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Son of God Himself. And you belong to Him. Because God marked you out. That's what that word predestined means. It means to be marked out beforehand. Because God marked you out before time began. And God knew the day that his son would enter that slave market. And by his own blood redeem you. To make you holy and blameless before him for all eternity. Grace, grace, grace has done this very thing. In Him we have redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. He purposed this in Himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Oh, I would love to keep going, but I'm not going to because I'm out of time. But let me just fast forward over to the second chapter of Ephesians. Verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead. You he made alive who were dead. In trespasses and sins. That does not exclude any of us. We were dead. He made us alive. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. But what are you? What were you marked out to be and placed into him to become? We just read it. Sons. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. You once were sons of disobedience. But because God chose you before time. Because God marked you out. And because God called you blameless and holy before him in love. Having foreordained your placement in him by Jesus Christ to be his son. You are no longer now a son of disobedience. You were dead, but now you are alive. You were a son of disobedience, but now you are a son of God. Among whom we all, we also, I'm sorry, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling our desires, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In other words, we were just like the others, Paul says. The only difference is God's grace. Nothing you and I have done. Nothing they have done. The difference is God's grace. We were just like the others. Sons of disobedience. But now we are sons of God. By the grace of God. Verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul wants to make sure you understand this. And raised us up together and made us all sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 is very important. Underline that word that. Highlight that word that. Why did God do all of this? Why did He raise me from the dead? Why did He sit me in heavenly places? Why did He make me His son? Why did God do this? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10. I want you to think of verse 4 as I read verse 10. Remember verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, 
Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beforehand. It's the same thought. It's the same, it's the same thing. Before time began, before the foundation of the world was laid down, you are, you were, His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We go to the book of Revelation and we see the the scene before the throne where the 24 elders are gathered around the throne and they are casting their golden crowns at the feet of Jesus. Why do you think they are casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus? Because in that moment that we see him face to face, you and I and every other son of God will understand that it was nothing of ourselves. It was only, always, forever, eternally by his grace. That God has brought you to himself as a son, holy and blameless before him. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. Your grace that is so rich, so deep. God, we cannot even begin to fathom the depth of it. Your grace that works, Lord, in ways that we cannot even comprehend. That works in everything. It works in the sweet. It works in the bitter. It works in the hard. It works in the easy. It works in the light. It works in the dark. It works in life. It works in death. It works in our ease and it works in our struggle. It is your grace that is all sufficient, always working, always providing, always bringing all things to your glory. We thank you for your grace, God. In Jesus' name, amen.